Rodney. Rodney's the man. She's on. He's on that list now. Rod Davidson. Yes. Um, he is. Um, okay, he's about two thirds of the way down. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for thinking of him. Daniel. What a what an amazing story. At age roughly 15, 16, he is taken captive, taken out of um, his home in Jerusalem, in Israel, taken over to Babylonia, the city of Babylon, where he is really drafted into the king's service. He's taught the ways of the Babylonians, probably. He may have even dressed like Babylonians. But he kept his Jewish heritage. He kept his Jewish uh, dietary laws. He, he kept his worship. Part of the Jews' worship was that they faced for Jerusalem three times a day, the morning, the noon, and the evening, and, and said prayers. And Daniel doesn't stop that. We read in Daniel chapter 7, where uh, he was about 67 years old. That was the first reign of Belshazzar. Uh, Belshazzar. Daniel was drafted under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king in Babylon. You know, it's interesting, if you look at the maps, and I'll bring you one when, it, when I can. I try to limit the handouts only because it's it just costs so much to do them, the copies. But uh, if you look at the handout, if you look at the, the map of the Kingdom of Babylon, the Kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, the Kingdom of Alexander the Great, the Grecians, and the Kingdom of Rome, the Roman, Roman Empire, they overlapped in many areas. And if you look at the, the Mediterranean Sea, okay, the the Babylonian kingdom took in parts of Egypt, parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, parts of uh, uh, the, the north side of Turkey, and even north of Turkey and some of the Stan nations. And then the Roman Empire, and it was a huge empire, it took in Europe, it took in Italy, it took in Spain and France, and, and uh, as well as Africa and the rest of those nations. So these empires we see in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 are reflected in a large statue, aren't they? And it's interesting because Daniel explains itself, which is really nice for us because it would be otherwise it might be kind of hard to figure out. But Nebuchadnezzar sees this has this dream, this vision of a large statue which nobody could interpret. And Daniel comes in and not only interprets the dream, but tells the king what the dream was. And the dream was that he saw from man's viewpoint. So this is from the human viewpoint, the kingdoms of the world that would be associated with Israel in some way. Okay? They would either be neighbors, they would be 
conquerors, all of the kingdoms, with the exception of the last one, that would be the uh, millennial kingdom, is conquering as did conquer uh, Israel. The statue was huge. The head was a head of gold. And Daniel interprets that as being Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. Then next we see in the arms, the arms were silver. And the silver were the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Now, the Persian Empire, okay, is what we now know today as Iran. Okay? Iran. The Medes was the Median Empire that was slightly north and northwest of Iran. It would be in, uh, and I can't even, uh, it's one of the Stan nations that are very close to Georgia. And I don't mean Georgia in the United States, Georgia in Russia. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so the Medes, the Medes probably more closely resembled what would be known as the Kurds today. The, Kurd, the Kurdish people live in northern uh, Iran. And if you know anything about what happened there, um, the uh, Iranian government didn't care for the Kurds, and so they tried to eliminate them with gen genocide. The Kurds are actually U.S. allies in the war on terror okay, today. So the Medes and the Kurds, Persians, the Persians was was an empire that came in slightly after the Medes, but got bigger. Okay, we'll see that in one of our visions. Then, of course, Alexander the Great came down when he was 20, roughly 20 years old. And in six years, he completely uh, took over the Persian and Mede Empire and gained even more territory. Alexander the Great was a great warrior. And it's interesting because these studies in Daniel that we're doing really have a lot of historical significance. And if you understand history, which I hated in school, hated, 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 right? But if you understand and develop a love for history, it's a lot easier to see how history has evolved, evolved, and how it will continue to evolve, because history always repeats itself. Right? Yeah, right. So then we saw the Roman Empire coming after. Alexander the Great, and uh, the Roman Empire is the fierce empire that we see in Daniel's vision. So in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, from the human viewpoint, this statue was colossal. It had a head of gold, arms of silver, it had a chest of bronze, which was the Grecian Empire, and legs of, of iron, which was the Roman Empire, okay? And then it had, it also mentioned the ten toes, which were of iron and clay, right? And those two things, of course, don't mix. They don't, they're not cohesive. So we'll see how where that leads us. Yes? Who's the clay? Well, that is a very good question. Um, you know, the, the feet, get heavy, the feet of, and the ten toes are representative of the ten nations that the book of Revelation talks about. And that will be, people named that 
revive Roman empires, but they mean okay. And if you look at the European Union, the European Union has really tried to revive many things uh, that had to do with the Roman Empire. Uh, Google the name Charlemagne, and you'll find a lot of stuff not only that went back in the form of Roman Empire, but also is is very material to the creation of this European Union, which may be the uh, forerunner of the revival of Empire. So, to answer your question, I'll answer it when we get to it. How's that sound? <laughs> Would you know? Well, I don't think we'll get to it tonight. You might. I don't know. Who do you think plays? Muslim nations. Muslim nations? Okay. Well, the Muslim nations certainly are going to be a part of this last day scenario. Now, you know, in Psalm 83 and in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we have a two different, they appear to be two different wars, and Muslim nations are certainly involved in both of them, especially in the Psalm 83 war, and we see where God does a kind of a uh, a discipline on the Muslim nations. So that's an interesting thing. Some people might think that it is a religion, religious um, influence combined with a political influence, which generally speaking does not combine anyone. But we'll get to that here probably in a couple of weeks. Now, so Nebuchadnezzar's dream is in chapter two. In chapter three, we've got he he gets all big headed and he has this ninety foot, nine tall, nine foot wide statue put up in the plane of shiner, and he commands everybody to worship the image. And of course the three boys that were with that came along with Daniel didn't. So he puts them in the den of or in the um, uh, furnace of fire and they don't burn up. And so Nebuchadnezzar is witnessed to by this very strongly and uh, ends up declaring to his kingdom that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is nobody's supposed to say anything bad about that world. Then we have Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, his dream of a tree where he was a large tree and he was the, the birds of the air and the people of the, of the land found shelter in under this tree. Daniel dug, but the tree was cut down, but there was an iron band that was put around the stump so it could, it could grow again. And Daniel interprets that dream for King Nebuchadnezzar and says, listen, Nebi, I don't know if that Nebi or not, but you know, uh, he said, you're, you're the tree. You're the tree in your kingdom. You and your kingdom are the tree. And you're going to get cut down because of your arrogance uh, toward God. And sure enough, he contracted the disease of Zoranthropy. If I'm saying it quite right, Zoranthropy, which is which is a mental disease. It's a it's it's an insanity that causes people to act like an animal. Okay, and he got that, and he had it for several years, and then God brought him out of it. And when he brought him out of it, 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a changed man. Now, we went into Daniel chapter 7 last week, and in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, we see this is the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Well, Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Okay? Now, we're going to see here where he calls him his father, but in, in, in those cultures where family was so important, I would call my male relatives fathers. Okay? My grandfather would be a father, my father would be a father. And uh, we don't do that today. We call them grandfathers or great grandfathers or whatever. So in chapter seven, oops, in chapter seven, we see this um, this dream that um, Daniel has. Right? We discussed this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it was a horrifying dream, and it was it was God's viewpoints of human kingdoms. There's five kingdoms in chapter 2. There's five kingdoms in chapter 7. There's kingdoms mentioned in 8 and 9. And the five kingdoms that we're concerned about that all had close associations of some type with Israel was, first of all, the Babylonian kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom of Greece of, under Alexander the Great, the uh, kingdom of Rome or the Roman Empire. What's the fifth kingdom? Still to come. Yeah, it's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. We look at the revived Roman Empire as still a part of that fourth kingdom. Okay. Because the, the vision shows it that way. The vision shows the fourth kingdom as being the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And that's all one kingdom. So, we go down here in chapter 7 real quick, and he sees this vision of four great beasts in verse 3, 7, 3. Each different from the others, and they came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. The second was like a bear, and the bear was asymmetrical. One side was stronger than the other. It said it was raised up, and that is because the Persian Empire ended up being the stronger of the two empires between Persian and Medes. Okay? He had three ribs in his mouth. Not exactly sure what that what that was, but the the empire of the Medes and the Persians did conquer Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. So those could, those ribs could be indicative of those three empires that they devoured, if you will. Right. Then in verse six, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. This is the Grecian Empire, and it's back. It had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads and was given authority to rule. The reason that he describes it like a leopard and a bird is because Alexander the Great, in six years, conquered the entire world. Very swift, like a leopard, or like a, like a, a, a bird would fly. The four heads 
we find out from history and from Daniel chapter 8 is when Alexander the Great died, he apportioned off his kingdom north, south, west, and east. I mean, he's backwards. And his four great generals each took over that area, north, south, east, and west, etc. And I'll give you the names on them in just a bit. Um, and then he goes on to the fourth beast. He says, after in verse 7, after that in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and striking and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. Okay. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me another horn, a little horn, one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So this little horn comes up, and he uproots three of the, the horns. We'll see this uh, further explained in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, I believe it is. Okay, So we'll be getting into that in about three weeks or four weeks, hopefully. So, Daniel is troubled, all right? And uh, in verse 15, he says, I, I was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there, uh, I'm assuming this is an, an, an angelic figure, and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things, the four great beasts of four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. So we know what they are now. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom, that would be the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom, okay, and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then he wants to know about the fourth beast. He says, then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which is different from all the others, and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot, whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head, and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than all the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them, we correlated this last week with Revelation chapter 13 especially. Okay. I watched, and this horn was waging war against the saints, defeating them. Okay. <laughs> that had been Colleen season, we would all got a shower. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints, defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So in this section here, in chapter 7, you've got prophecies about the four kingdoms and you've got a far prophecy about not only the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but about the kingdom of the Antichrist. The kingdom of the Antichrist is future for us. 
But I believe that kingdom is being developed and the seeds of it are being sown right now. Because we are not that far from the end. There's just no way. I mean, this if if the Lord wasn't going to come back for a hundred years, I believe we'd all kill each other. And that's the reason why in Matthew 24 it says if that time had been shortened, nobody would have been saved. Because we'd all blow the world would blow each other up arms So we see a nearer prophecy and a farther prophecy in chapter 7. Let's go to chapter 8 because technically chapter 8 comes before chapter 5. Okay? And you might ask, why does it come before chapter 5? In chapter 5, that was the last we see the end of Belshazzar Nebuchadnezzar's grandson's reign. We see where Cyrus and Darius come in and they take over that kingdom. Okay? So, chapter 8, we're still dealing with the Babylonian kingdom of Belshazzar because it says here, alright, in chapter 8, verse 1, in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign. What was chapter 7? In the first year of Belshazzar's king of Babylon, right? So chapter 7 is the first year of Belshazzar's reign. Chapter 8, we're into the third year of Belshazzar's reign. He says, in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, he's a bad, a bad man of Jamma, okay? I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel, or the city, of Susa, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Eli Canal. So he sees this himself in this vision. Now, Daniel is not there physically because he's in Babylon. He's a captive in Babylon. This uh, palace at Susa was about 200 miles east of Babylon, and it was on the Ulai Canal in Persia. So he sees himself in this different place. He says, I looked up in verse 3, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Well, the interesting thing is, let's see if, if we get a... Yeah, okay, so go down to verse... 20, real quick. Remember, if we're going to interpret anything, we want the Bible to interpret the Bible. And that's the safest interpretation, is if the Bible's interpreting itself. It says in verse 20, the two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So you got that? What is the two-horned ram? And one was longer than the other. Why? Because the Persian kingdom was stronger 
than the means. So this is another vision of what was to come in the future, that the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians would be a world kingdom. They would take over Babylon, and they would go north, south, and take over um, the rest of the known world then. As I was thinking about this, verse 5, suddenly, now remember this is a vision, a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes, what unicorn, came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. Now, I'm going to give you another interpretation in verse 21. The shaggy goat is who? King of Greece. Okay? King of Greece and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. Technically, Alexander the Great was the first king of Greece. Okay? So, when we go back to verse 5, we know that he's talking about Alexander the Great and the kingdom of Greece. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat, a shaggy goat with a prominent horn between his eyes, the prominent horn would be Alexander the Great, came from the west. And it's interesting because Greece is west of Babylon. Okay? So he came from the west. He went east and conquered Babylon. It's crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. That would indicate swiftness. Okay? He, this was a very swift. He was so swift he, did, he didn't even need to touch the ground. He says, he came toward the two-horned ram. Who's the two-horned ram? These Persians. Alexander the Great, Grecian kingdom, came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. When we see horns, we usually think about power. power. And this goes back to Daniel's dream about the, the four um, generals of Alexander the Great having the kingdom divided up among them after Alexander's death. This is just simply another prophecy. Now think about this for just a minute. Commentators are very divided that Daniel wrote this. They say, well, it's just too accurate. <laughs> the prophecies are just too accurate. Somebody wrote this after all this happened and put Daniel's name on it. You know one thing about God's prophecies? They're 100% accurate. You know how you can tell a false prophet? If he doesn't put out 100% accurate prophecies. That's how you tell. And that's what the Bible says. So, go on. Verse 9. Out of one of them. Okay, so out of one of these four prominent horns, 
Now, the four prominent horns represent, I'm going to give you some countries. They represent their north, south, west, and east. East, okay? So then, one of the prominent horns, let me see if I've got it written down here somewhere, because I'd rather have you, I'd rather do it that way than memory. Hold on. Give me just one minute. One minute's not up yet. No, I've got it down. What's that? My Bible has the general. Oh, I wasn't necessarily looking for the general's names, although we could do that. Does it? Does your Bible tell what they took over? Yes. Okay, good. go ahead and teach. Let's okay. go. The four generals, Cassander took Macedonia, Thrace took much of Asia Minor, Thrace and much of Asia Minor went to Lysimachus. Okay, so that's one general? Yes. Okay, uh, so that would be Cassander was one general and he took Macedonia. Okay, okay. Then so he took Asia Minor. Um, and then that was okay. Let's Seleucus took Surrey, Syria. Okay. And Ptolemy claimed Egypt. Ptolemy claimed Egypt. There's one more. Thrace uh, and much of Asia Minor went to Lycia. Okay. So that was four. Okay, so we've got basically we've got Egypt, Syria. Israel, and Syria. One of the generals took. Another general took what we would consider as part of Eastern Europe and Northern Asia Minor. Right. Then we had one that took over the Grecian. Yes. And then we had one that took over, um, well, the, the east, slightly east of Syria. Yes. Okay. So, so there's our. Okay. So we are in Daniel chapter eight, verse nine. Out of one of them, out of one of these four generals' geographical area. Okay. Find out which one came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. The beautiful land is where? Yeah, Israel. It grew, this horn grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Now, what happened here is this, is out of the solution, solution kingdom, uh, S-E-L-U-C-I-D, I think is the way you spell it, Seleucid, came a king named Antiochus. Okay? Antiochus. 
And if you want me to spell that for you, I will. It is uh, Antiochus is A-N-T-I-O-C-H-O-S, I think. U.S.? U.S. That's close. Um, Antiochus was a bad battle. He conquered Egypt. So he's a Seleucid king, which is, is north of Israel, where we now have Syria. Okay? So he goes down to Egypt, and Israel is in between Syria and Egypt. He goes down there, and he conquers Egypt. And so he wants to bring plunder and all the rest of the stuff, and he goes back up north, and he kind of, he's got a disdain for Jews and a disdain for Jerusalem and the temple and everything else in it. So he decides to make another, goes back up to his home, he decides to make another run at, at Egypt for some reason. And the Romans, okay, um, the Romans, I believe it was, stopped him. And they said, no, you've done enough down in Egypt, you're not going to get any more, you're finished. When he went back up through Israel, he desecrated the temple. He set up himself an image in the temple, an image of Jupiter. He <clears throat> abolished the daily sacrifices and prayers that the Jews made. All right. And here's what it says. Listen now. It says, because verse 9 describes Antiochus Epiphanes. Here's what it says. Out of one of them, okay, out of, out of the Syrian uh, kingdom, came another horn, another king, another power, which started small but grew in power to the south. South would be Jerusalem and, and Egypt. And to the east and toward the beautiful land. It, this Antiochus Epiphanes, his kingdom grew until it reached the host of heavens and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifices from him and the place of his sanctuary, that would be the, the temple in Jerusalem, was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and the truth was thrown to the ground. Now this is very interesting because in Matthew chapter 24, listen to what Jesus said about this, okay? Matthew chapter 24, I'll be somewhere around verse 15. <laughs> Okay, here's what's said. Listen to this. If he talks about nation, nation's going to fight against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and uh, there'll be famines and earthquakes. He says these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, hated by all nations, etc. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the law will grow cold, etc. Then he says in verse 15, Jesus Christ, So when you see standing, 
in the holy place. What would the holy place be? Probably the temple, huh? When you see, now remember, Jesus is way long past Daniel, right? Daniel is several hundred years before Jesus comes on the scene. So when you see standing in the holy place in Jerusalem in the temple, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel. That's what Jesus Christ said. Matthew chapter 24. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. It's going to be very serious when this is a signal. This is a signal to the Jews that during the tribulation, when they see this abomination of desolation, as Daniel spoke about, they should flee because all hell is going to break loose. Well, what happened in in Daniel in this in this situation in Daniel is that he prophesied about Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes, he gave his own name. He gave, Antiochus gave himself his own name of Epiphanes. You know what Epiphanes means? What Epiphanes means? Like it means, it means the glorious one. Okay? He gave his, himself, imagine if I came over and said, I want you to come start calling me Steve Epiphanes. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. You'd be like, where is the door to this place? You know? So this guy was mentally ill. He was deranged. He was deceived. And he went into Israel. He he uh, desecrated the temple by erecting a statue of Jupiter. He, he told the Jews no more daily sacrifices, no more daily prayers. And in fact, he even did worse than that. Made them eat things etc., that they were not allowed. He stopped them from circumcising their children. He made laws and changed things for the Israelites. That was very big. And when the statue of Jupiter was put in the temple, that was an abomination that caused desolation of the temple. Right? The Maccabees, if you have a Catholic Bible, you go into your uh, books of the Maccabees, and it was the Maccabee boys, uh, they were uh, Jewish, uh, that Jewish people that still practiced their Jewish faith. They went in there, and they cleaned house after a while, and they got rid of Epiphanes, and they reinstated the, the sacrifices, and got everything kind of back to normal. So, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and I'll give you a handout on him, I think I already have, but um, if I haven't, I'll give you a handout on him. I will compare him with Jesus. He is the exact opposite of Jesus, and he is a forerunner of the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. So in Daniel's day, he foresaw a near forerunner of the farther in the future Antichrist. Okay? And that's the way that's what the that's what the Bible says the Antichrist is going to do. Let me read it to you. I'm glad you asked. Let me read, let me find it first, real quick, okay? Now, I believe it might be, let's see. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, listen to this. Okay. Antiochus Epiphanes, this in Revelation chapter 13 could describe Antiochus Epiphanes, but instead it is describing the Antichrist. Okay, listen. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, and ten crowns on his horns. Power. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I, resemb I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, or Satan, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed at the Antichrist. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's um, three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God <coughs> and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nations. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now listen to what Thessalonians says about the same person. Okay? Listen to this. The, 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 the church at Thessalonica it's a tough one to say. Yes. They were worried because they had heard rumors that the day of the Lord had already come and they missed it. It'd be like if you and I heard rumors of the rapture's coming, you'd be like, well, hold on. You know, and you, you, you know, you might write or go talk to your pastor, you might, you know, in this case, they, they talked to Paul because Paul was their pastor. Their senior pastor at that church. He founded that church. Here's what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now listen, he's writing back to these believers at Thessalonica concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. See what the problem is? Okay, that's the problem. There have been rumors that the day of the Lord has already come. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Here's a little bit of what he is like. He will, and, and compare this to what we just read in Romans, or in uh, Revelations, and compare this to what, how Daniel described that little horn who got big. He says, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship. Listen. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, 
proclaiming himself to be God. That is the abomination of desolation. It's going to happen in the tribulation at the midpoint that Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 warned the Jews about. Okay? Isn't it amazing how it all ties together? I think it's amazing, really. So listen to what he says. So this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, the one that's doomed to destruction, is going to set him up, set himself up in a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem, halfway between the first and second uh, half of the tribulation. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? So he's telling the, the Jews here, these things have to happen before that day comes. He says, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness, that would be the Antichrist spirit, which John talked about in First and Second John, and said it's already in the world. When John wrote it, like in 90 AD, the spirit of the Antichrist was already in the world. He says, and you know what is holding you back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one, this is the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan. It's exactly what, Romans, or what Revelation chapter 13 says. Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so we say, for this reason, for what reason? For the reason that they refuse to love the truth and be saved, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed in the truth but have delighted in wickedness. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Let's go back to Daniel real quick, okay? Because I am determined. I'm going to finish Daniel chapter 8, 5, and 6 tonight. Oh, goodness. You're mad. <laughs> yeah, I even got good reason to laugh. I really didn't think I was going to finish it. But. Okay, we are in Daniel 8, verse 13. So Daniel has just described the prophecy of Antiochus Epiphanes IV coming in to the Jewish temple and desecrating as spoken by the prophet Daniel, Jesus said. Verse 13, when I, then I heard a holy one speaking, so this would be an angel probably, and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and the host that will be trampled underfoot. 
He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, and the, the sanctuary will be re-consecrated. And what happened is this, is that um, this persecution lasted for approximately six years until the Maccabees came in and took back the temple and destroyed uh, the workings of Antiochus Epiphanes. We can get into the 2300 evenings and mornings, but we, don't, we won't be able to do it tonight. Okay, so the interpretation of the vision, verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there stood before me one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli. Okay, what is the Uli? That's the canal that he's standing by. Okay. Calling Gabriel. Tell this man the meaning of the vision. So apparently this angel was Gabriel. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What, what time corresponds with the time of God's wrath? Tribulation. Okay. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between them, between his eyes, is the first king of the Alexander. The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power, which they didn't. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will be very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. This is a, a prophecy of the Antichrist now, okay? Which is amazing because in... The same chapter, we've got a prophecy of Antiochus the Epiphanes, which is a forerunner of Antichrist. So we've got two prophecies in two different time frames, one nearer to Daniel of the, the anti-Christian king Antiochus coming in and doing what the Antichrist is going to do at the tribulation. See, what history does what? Repeat itself, doesn't it? Sure does. And that's why, you, you know, so my Bible didn't tell me that Antiochus Epiphanes did these things. I told them that. Okay. I had to read the Catholic Bible to get the, the, the views.
from the book of Maccabees because it is a historical record in the Catholic Bible that this happened. So that's why it's very uh, important to know history, especially Bible history, because when you put these things together, you get a better picture of what we're talking about. It says in verse 26, the vision of the evenings and mornings that have been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. In other words, when he said seal it up, he wants, he wants Daniel to preserve it. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. No kidding. Um, so, the handout you got tonight is Daniel chapter 9. What I want to do, I'm going to let you go tonight. We've still got five minutes, but um, it's raining and it's, people are tired. And I'm, I don't want to rush through chapter 5 and 6. So next week, I'm going to go back. And we're going to look at how Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was destroyed by the Persians. That is in chapter 5. And you'll see chapter 6. So we'll do chapter 5, chapter 6 next week, and maybe chapter 9. Chapter 9, consider chapter 9 contains the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And that is a very important prophecy to understand because if you don't if you don't understand dispensationalism, which I've taught you already, and if you don't understand how God's economies work in every dispensation, you can't understand Daniel's seventy weeks prophecy accurately. It's impossible coming from a different frame of reference. So your homework assignment, okay, is to read Daniel 5, 6, and 9. Okay? And then we'll discuss it next week and have some fun. Okay? All right. Did you learn anything? At least you have what? You have more questions. Thanks. Um, isn't it just amazing to me? Isn't it amazing to you? How God's word is so deep, so accurate. We, you know, we can sit here, we can have a Bible class for an hour every night of the week and study something different every night, and it we would die before we would understand the whole word. That's what's that's what's amazing about the word of God is that it, it contains life and light for us. Well, Father in heaven, we do come before you. We thank you so much for these uh, prophecies and visions of Daniel and, and the other visions, Lord, and for your outline of history so that we can understand what the future history is going to be. Father, thank you for that. We do hold up again all of the folks on our prayer list that keep working their hearts, bless them, work in their bodies and minds. And Father, we just pray that you bless this Sunday's service. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.